2: Welcome to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, a podcast from Rotten Tomatoes, because fresh or rotten is just the start of the conversation. That's right. Each week, we're going to dive deep and settle the score on the fresh movies you hate, the rotten shows you love, and everything in between. I'm Jacqueline Coley. I'm an editor at RT, where I cover awards and independent film.
1: I'm Mark Ellis. I'm a comedian, Rotten Tomatoes correspondent, and I took three weeks of karate classes in sixth grade, so... This is a good episode for me, Jacqueline.
2: Does that make you a martial artist? Because you would be so in like, you know, perfect company with our movie today, Mark. Because you know what? We're breaking down Mortal Kombat. I have to do it that way. You have to do it that way.
1: (laughs) Me and my white belt. We're ready to go.
2: Yes. He's going to be starring in the third season of Cobra Kai. You folks just keep, keep on the lookout for him doing the crane. Uh, But yeah, now we're going to break down Mortal Kombat. This is actually a movie that both Mark and I have spent long nights talking about how much we love it and are upset at its 49% rotten score on the tomato meter, but happy that it's at least got 57% on the audience score. We're going to get the rest of them to understand that it's the certified fresh masterpiece that me and Mark know that it is. Right, Mark?
1: Absolutely, Jacqueline. Now, look, if this movie had starred chubby, sixth grade, taking karate classes for three weeks, white belt Mark Ellis as the lead, then yeah, it deserves its rotten score. But this movie, as a matter of fact, was the highest rated video game ever on the tomato meter until 2018 came along and wrecked everything. Now it's like Angry Birds 2. But Mortal Kombat still deserves to be fresh. Cannot believe it's rotten.
2: Yeah, It was, it was the one that gave us all hope. And it was the one that I would say to folks, look, if you can just get past your like sentiments of what you think cinema is and really open your eyes, you can see this for what it is. However, although we love it, there are plenty of other people that love it. It's become this amazing cult classic. Our guest today, though I like the guy, he, he doesn't like our movie, Mark. And um, he's going to let us know why uh, he thinks we're wrong. And maybe even why he thinks Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Because based on when I talked to him, he may think that score at 49% is a bit too high. And so that's really what we're going to break down today. Why is this movie Something that audiences still like, still rewatch. It's on Netflix right now. I remember it trending when it went on Netflix. But, you know, it doesn't have that critical score. But before we get there, Mark, why don't you break down for us What exactly happens in Mortal Kombat, if you will, sir? Uh,
1: Jacqueline, I've been waiting for you to ask me that since we met, since the day I first laid eyes on you. I said someday Jacqueline's going to ask me to talk about Mortal Kombat, the movie where there's this little tournament happening. As a matter of fact, it's an intergalactic tournament of martial arts majesty. The fate of which, and I'm not downplaying this, the entire Earth is relying on three of our best fighters to go to Outworld, compete in the tournament, and guess what? They have to get a W. One of them's got to take home gold or else our world will be destroyed. It is a very, very tough day, and tough news to hear for Liu Kang, for Sonya Blade, for Johnny Cage. Those are our three people. We got some other ones that are going to make the cut to get to Outworld, but they weren't in the video game, so who cares about them? They're going to be going up against the likes of Sub-Zero, Scorpion, Goro, and if they make it that far, Shang Tsung himself. Your soul is mine, and the popcorn was mine, and I really loved watching this movie. Based on the popular video game, which, as Jacqueline noted, features blood and a whole lot of it.
2: Oh, Mark, thank you for that so much, sir. I literally heard the theme music as you were reciting that synopsis, and it, it gave me chills. It <laughs> gave me chills. But although that synopsis was great, I don't think that's the only context that we're going to need before we dive deep into this conversation. We, of course, have to stop in with our resident critical expert. That, of course, is Tim Ryan, our review curation manager. Um, he's got us. We haven't pre-recorded, but he's going to let us know, first of all, about the tomato meter for those of you who are uninitiated, and he's going to set the stage for what the critics and audiences were thinking back in 1995 when Mortal Kombat hit theaters. Tim, take it away.
0: Thanks, Jacqueline and Mark. The Tomato Meter is a percentage of approved critics who gave a film or TV show a positive review. If a film or show is at 60% or above, it's considered fresh. If it's 59% or below, it's considered rotten. So let's talk a little bit about Mortal Kombat. At this late date, practically no one is arguing the cultural legitimacy of video games, but in 1993, that was very much not a settled argument. As movie studios started making movies adapted from games, there was a sense that they were trying to squeeze narratives into stories that were essentially non-narrative. So a lot of film critics saw studios making these video game adaptations as a sort of cynical cash-in that, in a lot of ways, they wondered whether they would appeal to gamers at all, which was the core audience. So when Mortal Kombat hit theaters in 1995, it already had a couple strikes against it. One, how do you turn a fighting game into a movie? Mortal Kombat is a fighting game, so it certainly does not have any kind of narrative. (laughs) And two, isn't the ultra-violence of Mortal Kombat what appealed to fans in the first place? How could they replicate that on screen? So it's all the more surprising that Mortal Kombat is at 49% with 39 reviews, which for a long time made it the best-reviewed video adaptation in Rotten Tomatoes history. So let's read what some of the critics had to say. In a rotten review, Richard Harrington of the Washington Post wrote, Closer to fatality than flawless victory, the $20 million film version of Mortal Kombat is likely to satisfy only the core audience already hooked on the video and arcade games, and even that's not a sure thing. It's funny, while I was doing some research on Mortal Kombat, I actually came across a review by Gene Siskel from the Chicago Tribune that I added the day before we recorded this, Um, it's a fresh review. Gene Siskel wrote, the only decent video game turned into a movie. Why? Obviously, because the filmmakers have really tried to offer some eye-popping visuals that can provide the same stimuli as the video game itself. So ultimately, the critics praise the inventiveness of the film and some of the visuals while also believing the story to be paper thin. So to borrow some quotes from the game and uh, finish this, Mortal Kombat is 49% with the critics and 57% with the audience. Uh, so, yeah, hardly a flawless victory. Ugh, oh,
2: I loved him so much the history that he brings, the the insight, the research. I, I feel like every time that he mentions that, it takes me back to when I very first sort of like saw the movie. But Tim sort of sets it up for us. Critics thought that this was mediocre. They didn't get it. Some of them may, may have gotten what it was doing, but basically they felt if you weren't part of the video game audience, there was no reason for you to like this movie, which I think is the sentiment of our guest today. Scott Johnson. Um he look first of all let me just say when we like were told that this guest was coming I felt that I needed to sort of like up my geek cred because I feel like this guy comes with such a level I'm like okay I like he hosts like 20 podcasts he's an illustrator video game designer so, I mean this man literally lives in a geekdom in a way that I only dream about. So but he also doesn't necessarily love Mortal Kombat, even though he hosts like a, a ton of video game podcasts. He even has a podcast called Film Slack, which sort of like breaks down, you know, forgotten movie gems. I think he talked about Mortal Kombat there. I mean, but, you know, Scott, I'm guessing uh, you're, you're going to tell us why you think we're wrong on uh on the podcast today about Mortal Kombat. So without well, further ado, Scott Johnson.
3: Thank you. Uh, probably. Um, here, Here's the funny thing, by the way. Thank you for having me on. I'm super excited to talk about this. And we did talk about this movie on Film Sack not too long ago, probably a little over a year ago. And uh, its sequel, which we will not talk about being good today or else I'm going to have some real words with somebody because that movie, whoo. But yes, I, uh, I do have problems with this movie. And I'll get into those. Uh, and I'm gl- I'm grateful you're giving me the stage to finally say what's wrong with this series, despite the fact that I'm a gigantic Mortal Kombat fan. I have played every game since the first one, multiple arcade visits, many quarters put in that thing, all the home versions. I knew why the Genesis version was better and why the Super Nintendo version wasn't. And I knew why it was mostly because of the blood and you didn't have to turn it on to, you know. Uh, on the Genesis. It was
1: so bloody. And, and Jacqueline, I do have to say, I was appalled that we had somebody like Scott on who was going to bash Mortal Kombat. But I do love his approach that I think we can all agree is that we're going to set the bar so low with Mortal Kombat <laughs> Annihilation that there's no way yeah. to go. But we all think Mortal Kombat Annihilation is terrible. So we don't have to talk about the sequel. We can bond over our hatred for that. And then we can share in our, at least our love for pumping in quarters at the arcade because Patrick Henry Mall, Newport News, Virginia we had to drive a town over to go play Mortal Kombat so we could be out of my mom's watch and the blood that would come out when I I, I started out playing as Liu Kang just because that was the most blood for your buck because Liu Kang had that fast punch move he could do and then as I matriculated in the game I became more of a sub-zero guy but yeah just seeing that was such a revolution in the arcade and so when you get into the theater with your friends you hope some of that can translate even with a PG-13 rating.
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, if I'm going to throw one. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, when did you first see it? Because I, I, I don't think you were in like, where were you when you saw it? Like the very first time, because you had to be excited to see it, right?
3: Oh, it's stoked beyond control. OK, so so just to give you a little bit of background, um, I was 24 or so when this came out. So I'm now at this stage where I'm exiting college. I had just gotten married. We were going to have a kid soon, like super exciting times. In my life and also very adult times, it was the first time where I was like, yeah, whatever bloody video game comes out, I'm going to play it well, if I want to or not, because I no longer have parents with any control over me. So I was in this unique position of not quite being a dad yet that I had to think about these sort of things for my kids and being out from under this umbrella of my own parentage growing up. And uh, it's absolutely something my parents would not have let me go near had I been 14, 15, whatever, when the game came out. Um, so I came at it from just a different perspective of like, I love video games. I like this game. It looks violent and crazy. So I'm pretty stoked about this. As far as the film goes, uh, I couldn't have been more excited. The lead up was amazing. And in fact, I owned the soundtrack before the movie came out and I loved that EDM intro song. Um, it's like the only song that's good in the whole thing, but it's great. And it's still good today. And when you hear it today, I have all kinds of fond feelings about the music which led me down a whole path of EDM love and electronica love for my whole intervening time. I love that stuff. So I had levels of anticipation that I would put right up there with Star Wars sequels and getting excited about a new Star Trek movie or whatever, any other nerdy stuff I was into. So it happened. We had tickets. We got them early. Uh, This is back before you could do reservations. So we waited in line and all that stuff happened, sat down the movie was presented, and it wasn't great. It wasn't what it could have been, and my biggest complaint is, and we kind of touched on it, and I'll just get this out early, this movie would have benefited directly from being a hard-R project. They should have they should have leaned into what makes Mortal Kombat controversial in the first place, makes it cool in the first place, and gone for some really campy, gory fun. And they decided not to, and they went PG-13, and they really cleaned it up to the point that that bite was just taken out of the experience for me. And that's my biggest chief complaint. The rest of it I can live with. Some bad acting, fine. Some cheesy effects, fine. Uh, you know, all, all the stuff that makes the movie, in some people's eyes, who don't love the game, average. I'm okay with all of that. I think they just didn't lean into what makes MK, MK.
2: Wow. I, you know what? I'm actually kind of... I was. I didn't know why you didn't like it, but now I'm like very curious too because the bloody, not bloody enough, was not what I thought you were going to say. I literally was like the wooden acting. So wow, that that is incredible that you're like it's not gory. Because I can can forgive a
4: lot,
1: right? Like, am I I losing Jacqueline here? Jacqueline, are you are are you defecting? Am I going to be the only one left defending this ship? No, no, no,
2: no, no. Let Let's be real. He just shocked me a little bit with his reasoning. I was really coming into this someone. I was expecting some like high. And critic type thing being like it's terrible but like it's not bloody enough was not the way i thought this was gonna well, go look at it look at it this Kinda way glad i'm glad to talk about it
3: i'm somebody who knows how bad Waterworld is but i watch it yearly why well because it's garbage but it's my kind of garbage like i love Waterworld; it's mad max on the water and i love it and would i watch mortal kombat again i absolutely would but always in the back of my head i'm like they could have done more here and it's interesting because this launched the Video game adaptation part of Paul W.S. Anderson's career as a director. He would later jump into the the um, uh, Resident Evil games. That whole series has got his name all over it. The AVP movies like that guy had a turning point here that sent him in this direction. And I liked that. I was like, sweet. Somebody's going to going to handle all of this. Not to be confused with Paul Thomas Anderson, which is a very different director. Well,
1: that was going to be yeah. my hot take is that this is my favorite Paul Anderson. Um <laughs> Simply because this movie, to me, I, I think that while I would love to see that alternate version in our heads, that it is a hard R that does have a lot of blood and gore and stuff like that, I think you can go way too far that way with it, too. So I think you can I think that sometimes if you give a director, especially based on a video game that is known for being bloody and controversial, if you give them the reins to say, hey, make this as hard R as you want. I think sometimes you can lean into that a little too much and sacrifice some of the fun that we do. Have watching Mortal Kombat play out. The reason why I love it so much, and if you folks listening haven't seen the movie, it's just it's a very simple story, <laughs> if there is a story, because it is so purely based on the video game, which which doesn't really have that much of a story. It feels like you're watching March Madness play out. It feels like you're watching this tournament, and you get to see the seedings and the brackets, and it slowly develops into a couple upsets early on, and then you have some favorites that are going to meet in the finals, and it just it, the, the competition aspect of this movie I thought was really done well and so that's one of the things that maybe was compensating for the lack of the blood that I thought I might be walking into because <laughs> when I saw this movie I Jack, Jacqueline we were probably around the same age I was like maybe 14 and so I didn't have in my head like oh this isn't rated R so what am I getting into I just I wasn't factoring in the rating I just saw the trailer and I saw Sub-Zero and Scorpion and Kano and everybody else and I was like yeah I'm gonna go see that movie opening night
3: Yeah, like I had a similar, a similar feeling, except obviously I had entered my 20s and things felt like I could just freely do what I want. And maybe that's why the lack of the gore or the lack of the, the controversial aspects of the game hit me because I was feeling rebellious. I was feeling like, man, let's go. Let's let's take games into a new area and let's quit pretending they're just for kids and let's get over ourselves a little bit society and quit acting like we always do when comic books happened or when when TV happened, we always act like there's some demon in the box and I wanted that demon to get out. And the truth is, I don't think this movie gets made in 1995 with the level of gore the games produce, Um, especially the current ones. I don't know if you guys have seen Fatalities from Mortal Kombat 11, but (laughs) you would be you'll be blown away by what this game does today. And it's so gory that it's hilarious. Like it's hilariously gory. And I would have really gone for that 95, but there's no way they were going to make that movie in 95. Could they do it now? I would argue, yes, I think you could get away with it now. No one talks about Mortal Kombat as a controversial thing that it was anymore. No, there aren't uh, parent groups, uh, you know, picketing in front of Congress for this. And Congress isn't holding hearings for it. It's not that thing anymore. It's not that touchstone. So now maybe you go back and they are making a a reboot supposedly next year. We'll see Uh, if they really lean into that part of it. They could make a really fun, campy, hyper realistic, gory, but also modern sensibilities infused experience. And that's what I wanted then. And I didn't get it. And it's a bummer for me.
2: <laughs> I, I appreciate that it was a bummer for you. But I do think uh, Mark is right in the sense that I don't even think I was allowed technically to see it as a PG-13 movie. Like, I think I was below PG-13 when this came out or like right at it. But I do remember my mother telling me I couldn't go. Yeah. Like she was like not about it, and so I had to wait for it to go to the dollar cinema. And I don't remember what I bought the ticket for for the other movie, but I definitely remember buying a ticket for a different movie and sneaking into Mortal Kombat. I remember that very specifically, and it was a dollar. It was at the Sunrise Mall, which is where they filmed The Legend of Billie Jean. Yes, because I'm from <laughs> Corpus Christi. That movie's great. Texas.
3: I love that movie. Yeah.
2: And it though, it <laughs> though, we're gonna have an episode about that. Just you wait. Uh, but I saw it there, and I remember seeing it. At least multiple times because they had tilt the arcade that was across the way from the movie theater. And I remember I would save like my last dollar fifty, win some candy, and then go watch Mortal Kombat. Are you so kidding it was me? Something-
1: Our arcade was a tilt too. We had a <laughs> yes! tilt. That was what was it? Patrick Henry Maul and, and and Jacqueline Scott. This is and it's funny because it's also my favorite scene in the movie. And it's a quick scene, but the tr- seeing the trailer for Mortal Kombat, this is not in the days, folks, where y- you were reading all the trades online and you saw, oh, this movie's being uh, made and it's going to come out in two years. We're in pre-production. You just were kind of hoping, and maybe you saw a little newspaper clipping, that there might be a Mortal Kombat movie coming out. Me and my friends were so excited to go see Batman Forever, right? Mm-hmm. And Batman Forever ended up being the highest grossing film of that year. We were in the theater. Summer had just kicked off. We had just gotten out of school. I got at least a good enough report card to get to go to see Batman Forever. And the trailer for Mortal Kombat ran. And they showed the scene very early in the trailer to show you exactly what the hell you're getting into. And it's... Sub-Zero and Scorpion, and it's early in the film when we're still on that boat that's taking us across the river Styx or however the hell you get to Outworld, you see (laughs) Sub-Zero and Scorpion enter, and they're enemies, but they are slaves under Shang Tsung's power. But just to see the emergence of Sub-Zero and Scorpion, who, by the way, everyone in this current day and age, wear a mask and look cool (laughs) doing it, they come out of the door and as soon as we I didn't even want to see Batman Forever anymore I just wanted to run to tilt and just go play Mortal Kombat because I was so excited to see that scene play out on the big screen and it's a quick it doesn't take long but it gets you locked in to exactly what this movie is and the competition level that our human being from Earth Fighters are going to have to overcome if they want to save our planet
4: Scorpion and Sub-Zero Deadliest of Enemies
3: I will jump on your train for a second and give props to just that matchup in general, the Scorpion Sub-Zero matchup in the games and in the movie. They're the best thing in the entire franchise. Um, They're the, as far as I'm concerned, they're the stars of the game, even though they're mostly hidden and they do some things with them sometimes to sort of make them more story-based, but... Really, we just need Scorpion to throw a chain with a hook on the end of it and say, get over here. And we just need Sub-Zero to free somebody and shatter their body into a million pieces. If we have those two aspects, it's already a better video uh, video game movie adaptation than most others. So if I'm looking at the the, the breadth of video game a- adaptations, Mortal Kombat is not a lowest on my list, not by a long shot. It's, it's up on the list. But that's also kind of a low bar. There aren't really any great versions of these movies. I would maybe say Prince of Persia, that Prince of Persia movie with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was okay. It was all right. Uh, A lot of people even forget it existed, so maybe I just reminded everybody. It It was okay. It wasn't. I mean, if you're saying to me, hey, a bunch of friends are over. We're going to put a movie on. Which, Which video game movie do you want? Do you want Mortal Kombat? Do you want this, that, and the other? I'm going Mortal Kombat. See, this is why this is a a torn issue for me, because that's the more fun, fast, focused film. I just don't think it lives up to its potential. It could have been the greatest video game movie of all time, not just by this low standard of 49% and 57% audience or whatever. It could be so much more than that. And it's the way I feel. I keep bringing it up, but I But I feel that way about Mad Max Fury Road It is so far and away the masterpiece of George Miller and all his fine work that it's just astounding how good it is. And it didn't need to be. And it probably wasn't on paper. And even on paper now, if you just read a synopsis, you're like, okay, it sounds like a trip somewhere and then a trip back. Not a big deal. But instead, it's this amazing thing where everything comes together. Mortal Kombat could have been that. And sometimes I think the machinery of Hollywood doesn't allow these game adaptations to hit their true marks because they're afraid. They're afraid to go hard R in this case, or they're afraid to do certain things with the character that they think, well, that only appeals to the gamers. We need to broaden this out. World of Warcraft movies suffered from this a lot. You know, they didn't lean into the things that made the gamers love that game and that world and those characters. Instead, they kind of homogenized some stuff and kind of flattened it out and also did it in too small of a package. It deserved a series or a. A bunch of sequels or whatever. So, so my take on that is just there is so much potential, and that's why maybe I'm the most disappointed in it because the potential just didn't get reached, and the environment wasn't right to reach it. I'm still not sure it is, uh, but I am hopeful for you know future adaptations that will blow my mind because I would love that. Scorpion, Sub Zero, let's go, let's have those guys face to face every day, all day. They're amazing. Mark's right about them.
4: Man, that sunset is.
2: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I mean, I'm surprised uh, uh, Anderson has not done a Sub-Zero versus Scorpion a la Alien versus Predator. Mortal Kombat adaptation, now that you mention it, Um, but it's something I would buy a ticket for, if I'm being really honest. If you said, let's go watch a video game movie, I'm not saying The Prince of Persia. I would probably say, like, Silent Hill, just because I'm like, if we're gonna go down this road, let's just look at the worst, but that's me, personally. Um, I don't know. Like, when I think of the movie, though, it's not... It's the fight scenes. It's definitely some of the stuff that they do when they're in the film that has me, like, jonesed up, but really, it's Raiden. Like Lambert, Christopher Lambert, who's this like very fancy, like famous French actor. But most of us just know him as Highlander. But like in French cinema, he's kind of like their Daniel Day Lewis. And I'm not joking about that. It's like true. Wow. Um, He is in a different movie than everybody else. And I love him so much for it. He is in this like campy, like breaking the fourth wall almost, just like I'm on the, in on the joke and none of these idiots are. And I just, I love him on screen.
0: But I have looked into their souls and yours. One of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament. The fate of billions will depend upon you. <laughs>
2: Also, by the way, it's like a little fun fact with him. He was also a fan of the game, did the movie for free. And because he was like a rich French actor and like had all that Highlander money, I think at that point he definitely had Highlander money. He was like, whatever, um, I'm going to come here for free. Let's do it in Thailand. Like, let's have fun, get drunk. And uh, I'm paying for the rat party. Like he basically just showed up to be like, you know, their cinematic fairy godmother and then dipped out and had the strangest line reads through the entire movie. So if nothing else, I could just fast forward through his scenes and have like an amazing time. Um- but he- gives but, it a little bit of levity me.
1: too that, that that works for the movie and and I'm not going to defend the casting of Christopher Lambert as Raiden um but <laughs> I think that what what yeah. he what he does to the movie is he he is that coach if you want to continue down my my sports metaphor with this movie is that he is that that coach that that's been there that's seen it that has done the things that he's now asking of somebody else but he also just has that wink and nod to the audience where It's almost like, you know how when you're watching a movie that's geared towards kids and it's probably an animated film, but they have some jokes that are baked in there for the adults to get the parents who had to take the kids to the theater to get them through the movie. It's like he's looking at you and he's just like, hey, guys, I know this is a little ridiculous, but we're having a good time, right? And so for that reason, and Jacqueline, I love that you brought up the fight scenes, because I do think that the choreography of some of these fight scenes is one of the selling points of the movie for me, because I think Jeff Amata is the guy's name who was the choreographer for this. He also did that epic scene in They Live between... Mm. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper and it it was just like you see how much fun they have setting it up and I think that that's where I applaud this movie for realizing most of its potential to Scott's point I'm not going to fight City Hall as far as the studio not wanting to give it an R rating it's 1995 it's a different time we still don't know if we're going to get an R rating for this new version that's coming out in 2021 Mm. but for everything else that this movie had the promise of Mortal Kombat I think it delivered on because What we see a lot of times with not just video game adaptations, but any time you adapt a property, there is the risk that you're trying to make it too cinematic. And and what I mean by that is, oh, we need to pepper in this backstory. We need to have this love interest. We need to have this and this and this. And with Mortal Kombat, they're like, look, y'all, the kids love playing this game because they love fighting against each other. Let's have a lot of that. Let's have the bare bones of some sort of story structure. Okay, Liu Kang's sad about his brother. Okay, Um, there's, you know, and and, and the thing, the scene in the movie that typifies that to me is early on in the film. Johnny Cage is talking with this other great fighter who made the cut to get to the tournament. And his name is Art Lee. And he he looks great. He he looks like he could fight. But as soon as I saw that movie, I'm pretty sure my brother and I leaned into each other like he ain't making it because (laughs) guess what? there's no artly character in the video game. So it's like, sorry, dude, I'm rooting for you against Goro. There's no way you're gonna win because you're not in the video game. Time to
4: die. Finish him. victory, your soul is
1: mine. So this movie knew exactly what it wanted to be and I think for reasons like that, it lived up to it because it wasn't trying to do too much.
3: Yeah. I would, I would argue that. Um, so there, there's one actor who stands out to me um, and it isn't Christopher Lambert, although I enjoy that guy in a, in a, in a cheese fest way and everything he's in. But for me, it's Carrie, uh, Tagawa. I think I'm saying his last name, right? He is a high point of the film and is amazing today. in things like man in the high castle, if you haven't seen it, uh, you should because his performance alone is worth it. He plays Shang Tsung in this film and it's over the top cheese ridden performance that is extremely memorable and perfectly. He is perfectly cast for the movie to the degree that the new game, Mortal Kombat 11 cast, uh, Carrie Tagawa as Shang Tsung again and did all the motion capture, all the VO work with him again for the new game. And he's killer in it. So Mad respect in that direction. Like, that's what I'm saying. They get some of this stuff exactly right. The nod and the wink that Raiden gave everybody as sort of this thunder god who knew everything and was just there to sort of organize the tournament. Great idea. That's the way to do it. It it makes that character way more interesting in the context of the film. Like, there's those moments I just wish so bad that they could all really go at it when fighting. Otherwise, it feels like a G.I. Joe episode. Nobody really gets hurt. Yes, people die. Also, by the way, you can't kill Kano. They, ne- they never truly die. That's the other problem with video games. But, you know, you take a great character like Kano and, and and finish him in the very first movie. Eh, that was a problem. I didn't like that. Kano's a main player, man. You don't take that dude out. So, yeah. Like, there's just a... There was, again, with, that, uh, with the risk of repeating myself, there's a way to do this that isn't so overtly violent that the violence is the only point but i think it just makes it seem like like a g.i. joe episode and nobody's really there's no there's no real uh, you know risk here everybody can just punch a lot and and then it's fine and then we're over and we're done and the movie was fine and 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 we'll look forward to a sequel but there were no risks nobody had to take any serious risks so that's my major complaint uh, Especially here.
1: as the movie plays out because because at the, the end of the movie, it's like, hey, we did it. We, we we won the tournament and then we don't even get like five minutes to enjoy it before it's like, no, nope, we're still going to try to take over Earth. It's like, wait a minute. You just we just won the tournament. <laughs> oh, yeah. what, what are we already They
2: wanted ready? They wanted to have that end shot with the fight stance. That is the only reason for that. Set up the sequel money. The money's in the chase. Look, it's OK. Look, Scott. Yeah. I didn't think somebody from the Midwest would be this bloodthirsty, but I appreciate you for <laughs> dispelling my thoughts on that. It's OK. I, I get it. I, I I appreciate you admitting, you know, give folks what they want to see. And for you, it was a lot of gore and blood and murdering of characters. I get it. I understand. Yeah. I mean, normally um, is, I'm
3: technically we're I guess we're only two states from you, so I think we're still just West. But yeah, it, it is surprising. <laughs> People, people that know me are always a little surprised because I'm generally, you know, like, oh, look at the puppy and oh, don't kill the ants, let them live. I'm that kind of guy. But when it comes to Mortal Kombat, if we're going to be in the world, let's live in the world. Let's do it. Let's go all the way. And if not, let's not. So, you know. That's my
2: take. And, and I'm sorry, yes, Utah is Midwest. There's like comparing Utah people to freaking California people, let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> let's not go there. Let's just not. Yeah. Um, anyway, but uh, but what okay, so we have you've given us what you definitely think worked as far as um Shang Zhu, but what was the scene where you're like like okay, your eyes just rolled, um, where you're like, I can't with this movie.
3: Um, them wedging uh the character, uh, no, it wasn't called Lizard. What was his name? I can't think of a name so suddenly. Gordo? No, or no, the freaking, he's a, he's a, he's basically a lizard.
2: Reptile.
3: Reptile. Gosh dang it. Yeah. yeah. Reptile shows up in a very short, small, brief cameo. And that annoyed me because. There's no reptile in the original game. What I wanted out of that original movie, and this is picky nerd stuff, but I wanted them to stick to that and the sequel would introduce Baraka and Jax and these other characters that we grow to love in the second game and then so on with the third and fourth. I wanted that kind of structure and having them insert somebody from two just annoyed me. So it's a small thing. It isn't even that big a deal, but I remember going, oh, really, we're going to have reptile in here? Like What they wanted me to do is fan it, fanboy out the way you would when Spider- Spider-Man shows up in Civil War. And you go, whoa, yeah. Spider-Man's in my in my Captain America movie. How is this even possible? Uh they didn't work here. It just made me go, <laughs> Reptile's stupid. Reptile he is stupid. He's still stupid, by the way. He's never gotten yeah, cooler. He's a stupid character. Yeah, he's dumb. By he's the just way, a he's a reskin of the other two ninjas and he just is. he's just yeah.
2: stupid. Um also I might add, um, for sacrilegious and for not backing the culture. Also, Jax? Terrible character in second game. Oh, I love Jax. Shots fired if you want, but he's not a good character. He's an interesting looking character, but like actually using him is crappy. But we're not going to go on this nerd tangent. (laughs) I I definitely, because it will be a long tangent. It will be a long tangent. (laughs) It would be a long talk because... Yeah, yeah. Th-
1: then I'd have to compare Jax to Balrog because all they really do is box. And and, <laughs> and with Reptile, the only thing I'll say about Reptile is this. I'm not going to defend Reptile in the movie at all because, again, I, I think what Reptile is in the movie, though, is what Reptile should have stayed in the video game where it's a hidden character. And it's fun to unlock yeah. a hidden character, but in the same way that when you listen to Nirvana's Nevermind, there's some great cuts on that album. And then there's a hidden track, you know, like, oh, cool, a hidden track. Is it your favorite one? No, it's probably your least favorite. But, hey, it was hidden, so that makes it cool. You know, like, there's (laughs) a reason why it's a hidden character and not a star character.
3: Yeah, it's a really really good point. We could get into Stryker. He's the best, worst character in all history of of that uh, franchise. But here's the deal. If he just showed up in the first Mortal Kombat movie, Stryker, a cop with riot gear, and that's the only reason he's in this fighting tournament, uh, I would have loved that. That would have been great. Have him as your cameo, not freaking reptile. He's just a reskin. (laughs) Boo.
2: (laughs) You are so upset about Reptile. And like, this is a fight that you've wanted to have since 98. Listen, though, I I will say this. uh, There are things about it that doesn't work. If I was going to put this is what when I watch Mortal Kombat, it, it, it just epitomizes this idea for me, which I will say a lot on this podcast. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's this idea that you can make a bad movie on its face, both with the cinematography, the acting, quote unquote, you know, the plotting, the pacing, all of it but it can still be enjoyable. And this for me lives in that because even though like when art showed up, I was like, Oh, they, what are they going to do? This poor brother, art you know I was just like art didn't deserve that the minute he started talking to Johnny I was like this dude I just I, if I was going to be mad I would absolutely be mad about that I absolutely am rolling my eyes that they got you know literally the most francophonish dude in Christopher Lambert to play Raiden <laughs> <laughs> the god of thunder Um, just like completely removed from the culture that it's based off of yeah. and yeah no it is but if all of that happens, we still have this absolutely amazing fight choreography. We have these like martial artists. It's like, look, Keanu figured it out. Get a gun, don't say much, do cool moves. Like, I'm still about that idea. And even when you go back to something like Mortal Kombat, because watching Sub Zero and watching Scorpion fight in that sort of, or team up in that scene, watching other folks fight them, watching the come over here. That is absolutely incredible. And it sort of like, I think, leads up to the last fight between Liu Kang and in uh, Shang Tzu, because that really is like the boss level. It is also the boss fight. And although um, the actor that plays Liu Kang was like a trained martial artist, I would say that. Um, God, what's his name now? I'm forgetting his name right now. Bruce Lee. Uh, <laughs> no, oh. Carrie. Carrie. Tuk- oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruce Lee.
2: Gotcha. <laughs> no, let's just bring in Bruce Lee. Screw <laughs> it. Let's bring in Bruce Leroy. Yeah. Let, let's talk about show enough. If we're going to just go start bringing up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> fighting martial art movies. Let's talk about The Last Dragon. I, I love Barry that they Gordy's were drafting that
1: uh, they're drafting people from Earth to compete in Outworld. And even Shang Tsung is like, hey, y'all, don't call Chuck Norris. I want no part of Chuck. No. OK, yeah. give me somebody Seriously.
2: else. Yeah. But anyway, I, I will just say that that final fight scene It still hits. When I watched it again, it still hits well with that, like, the great cinematography of, like, the Mortal Kombat logo below them with, like, spikes up. Everything about that final scene is incredible, including, spoiler alert, when Liu Kang defeats him and he, like, sort of, like, pushes him off with, you know, you got to have the great great quippy (laughs) one-liner and be like, fatality, you know? I love it. I love it. (laughs)
3: Yeah, it just would have been cooler. It, it would have been cooler if he'd have pulled his spine out. That's all I'm saying. That's the difference. See,
2: because I mean, and a lot of people yes. are going to hear
3: me say this and go, "Why? Why do you want the gratuity?" Because that's the entire basis of the success of the series. True. And 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 if you go back to the original game and if you look at it today, or even by that day's standards, motion captured, basically photographs stringed together to create animation of people. It was kind of ugly, but also in some weird ways innovative for 1990 early 90s. And If you see it today, you realize that's not a great fighting game. What's great is, without the internet, the benefit of the internet, people would run around and find out what these codes were to do these fatalities. They weren't written on the arcade game. You didn't know. You had to find out through your friend who accidentally pulled somebody's heart out with Kano and went, oh my gosh, I think that was up, up, down, left, right, whatever. I don't know, but I'm going to write it down and keep practicing. And it was a great way to keep getting quarters as well. But then it would spread virally in 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 a really real way. Out again, outside of the help of the internet, what an amazing thing. And so, what is Mortal Kombat? A great fighting game? No, it's a great like murder simulator that that gets (laughs) that, which is why Congress and everybody else freaked out, right? Because they saw this and went, Well, why else would you want to pull somebody's spine out? Well, it turns out that can be cathartic for people who don't really actually want to pull anyone's spine out, but they want to do this fake, you know, sort of cartoony thing instead. Um, And there's a whole conversation to have about that, obviously, but uh, that was the game. And without that, it's like star Wars without the great soundtrack, sound effects and music. What do you even have a terrible seventies looking awful sci-fi adventure, but you change it all with those elements. I think Mortal Kombat benefited from it's more base, violent elements. And that's why it's the series it is today. And that's why the film got made. And that's why there was a sequel because there's money to be made around that. And I don't know, man. Just I—I I, I know I've said the same thing like four times, different ways. But this is the problem with the, with the it's, film because everything else you guys have said is true. Like, it's yeah, it's a fun Hearing tournament.
1: Those, th- those thoughts on on the extras too, it, 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 as far as the video game goes, because I think that is the attraction of the game is those extras. Like if if you told me. Hey, Mark, you can only play either Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter 2 for the rest of your life. Which one are you taking? I, I think Street Fighter 2 is the better gameplay. And yeah. and me as a kid, I probably would have been more excited about the Street Fighter movie if I was just looking at them and trying to choose which one to go into. But the flaw with the Street one of the many flaws of the Street Fighter movie is they took that game that is, again, just a, a global fighting tournament and they, they tried to make it into something that it was not. For for fans of the video game, it, it just became something completely different. So whether you think Mortal Kombat lived up to its potential or not, I think what we can all at least agree on is that this was faithful to what the game was, maybe not in all of those extra elements, but it was a... Accurate representation in the PG 13 cinematic world of 1995 of where we came from with the video game So I that's what I really appreciated about
3: I've, I've come around a little bit on this idea and I do think you're right I think that it's for what it was and when it was Its heart was in the right place and maybe that actually over time You see that more prominently with this film than other game adaptations street fighter is a terrible film but it's, not again, not terrible because there isn't an opportunity there. It's terrible because they don't trust me as the gamer who's there as a fan to see my video game movie and just giving me what that game gives me. Instead, they tried to make a bunch of backstory and make Guile the main guy. I mean, come on, dude. What the heck? What the crap was that? So it's a, it's a mess because of that. And most game movies do this. They try to fill in spaces that we as gamers have already filled in. You don't need to rewrite the story to appeal to us. Maybe to broader audiences, but I think that's sometimes a mistake. At least in Mortal Kombat's case, heart's in the right place, focus is in the right place, and you're right. They produced a, it's like a version of Mortal Kombat with the blood code turned off. That's what that movie is. Yeah. And to that, I have to have some respect. I respect that, you know? Like, that's what they could do when they did it. And they did it.
2: Some people, I think, like to your point, um, they won't play the game if you can't take the blood coat off and they would not want to even enjoy it. Like, again, I was somebody that had the Sega version of Mortal Kombat and I remember that I was much more popular because of that. (laughs) It was already on. You did not have to make anything about it. But Mark brings up a really great point, which is, again... Sometimes when we look at these video games movies and there's a long history of them failing and and not really working out more recently. We have great examples like Sonic and Angry Birds and some of this other stuff that it really does show that you can play within the world of a video game and make a compelling story. But a lot of times when it's a compelling story that critics will respond to, it is far removed from a faithful adaptation. A recent hit like Sonic... It captured the essence of Sonic the character, but it's not an adaptation Mm. of Sonic the video game in any way, shape or form. On the other side, Super Mario Brothers, I don't even think the people who made that movie played an (laughs) hour of Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. And it's definitely not a faithful adaptation. It's not a good movie, but it's still an enjoyable movie because even though it didn't capture the essence, the awesomely badness of it and the the failed attempts of it are sort of like a novelty. So I think even, even if you're looking at it from a big standpoint of like, is it faithful? Is it not? I think really what is more is like, did you capture the essence and did the essence that you capture pay tribute to the thing that you love? And so although there are countless examples of maybe movies where like, hey, that was actually kind of a better movie, it didn't pay homage or vice versa. I think in the end, these folks realize that These people are fans like gamers are becoming such a huge part of entertainment and media. And you have games like The Last of Us, which are like epic movies, almost like Logan. Um, You have a different generation of folks that are willing to sort of invest in video game type stories, um, whether they're faithful or not or anywhere in between. And if nothing else, you can listen to the soundtrack.
3: I also think we're heading toward a time rapidly where the right creative voices in the right organizations are going to take things to a ne- to the next level. If you would have told me even 15 years ago that Marvel would figure it out and the MCU would become what it was and is, and that they would be able to somehow do things like guardians of the galaxy and not have it be ridiculous. Um, I mean, I read those comics as kids. They're, they're ridiculous by nature. Somehow those movies work somehow Thanos and the gauntlet work, uh, I would have said you're crazy. They're never going to figure out a way to do this on the big screen. DC will always have an advantage cuz they can just do Batman and be gritty and Superman and be Superman. It's it's easy for them. And instead the whole world's flipped on its head. B-tier characters are now A-tier. Iron Man was dumb and boring for a long time and now he's not. Like this what they have done is I think nothing short of cinematic miraculous. And so I think like comics took a long time to get the respect and then the stories and then the people in charge to make a really great films. I think we're going to get to a point where people who were kids playing video games are now adults making film. And we're going to see video game movies that are truly worthy of the source material. And I think we're almost there. I bet in the next few years, we'll start to see it taken more seriously and we'll see a sort of an MCU like resurgence of quality films based on video games. We're just not there yet. But I right.
1: wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. I think it's going to take place in a different format than what we've seen with the MCU. Because just hearing your summation, Scott, of what the MCU accomplished, you're right, sometimes we take it for granted. A lot of times we do. It's a, the MCU is the Tim Duncan of movies yeah. because we just <laughs> it's always great and we just always assume it's going to be great forever. But with video games, this is why I think Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter was such a missed opportunity. And And I love that they're doing a new version of Mortal Kombat, because I think video games are too huge now. I mean, you look at Mass Effect, how are you possibly going to tell any sort of Mass Effect story that's going to, even a Halo story, that's going to satisfy hardcore fans and mainstream audiences in two, two and a half hours? So like what Netflix and Hulu and Amazon offer maybe even Apple TV, whatever streaming services went out, ultimately, that's where I think a lot of this video game adaptation content should live, because you can keep telling the story as opposed to being locked into a movie. And then we have to wait two years and then we have to wait two years. But with Mortal Kombat, with, with a fighting game, the story is so simple that you can tell that story capably, Within the window of cinema and now you may make a bad movie and disappoint all the fans and we have to wait five or six years or whatever the reboot timeline is, but I think that there's so much excitement out there right now. For fans of video games who now are a little bit older and have disposable income and they're like, no, I'm willing to pay whatever streaming service tells the story that I've been waiting to see since I was a little kid. And for me, a lot of that, even though it may not be reflected in the immediate aftermath of Mortal Kombat, is thanks to the fact that Mortal Kombat has lived on in the zeitgeist for whatever reason, for maybe it is the the cheesiness of some of the acting or maybe it is just that soundtrack or maybe it's just that cool dragon. I don't know exactly what it is, but we all know Mortal Kombat. And even if you haven't seen the movie, it's kind of inside you in a way. And I don't know how movies do that, but I think Mortal Kombat achieved it.
2: I agree. And I also think both of you are correct about the filmmakers growing up. I mean, that's exactly what happened to the MCU. You could tap guys like Edgar Wright. You could tap folks like Ryan Coogler, who read these comics as a kid, and then get them to make feature-length films, and they would have a familiarity and a shorthand and a language within it. It didn't have to be taught or faked. And we're already seeing that. And also, to your point, Mark, I do think it's on the streaming side. We're already seeing that. We have the Halo series um, that is uh, starring um, Shriver, the guy from American Gods. And then we also have the Last of Us television series that Sony is doing. Um, it, it's it's already seeing the fact that they know that these, these stories, because they are so big and they take an hour to download on your PS4, you're gonna have to give it more than two hours in the box office for folks to really feel like they're getting their money's worth. You're gonna need to tell a multi-hour arc. And I, for one, am excited about it. I don't care anything about Halo, but um Pablo Schreiber looks very good without his shirt on. So <laughs> I'm gonna be there. I,
3: I'm in to like see I want to see what they do with it. Like that's that's of interest to me. And another comparison that maybe if you let's say you hate comic book movies and you hate video games and you're listening to this podcast and you've made it this far. In this episode, I would use the comparison of look how long it took to make a good Stephen King adaptation. It's a long time of really, really crappy adaptations and giving it to the wrong people and just a horrible TV series and all of this. And we're now finally to this place where there are multiple and many on both fronts, television series, limited runs, movies, where we finally get Stephen King and we know how to adapt it. I think that's the same thing with video games in a weird way. It, it's following that same beat. Where you have a couple of it's like, oh, yeah, Pet Cemetery wasn't the worst thing I ever saw back in 86 or whatever, but everything else is pretty bad. And then you'd see Creep Show and sort of love it on a basic level. But eventually we would get things like the first It movie or uh, this series I'm watching on HBO now, which is uh, The Outsiders and freaking amazing. Um, we're, we're there. So we will get there with games. And I think Mortal Kombat could be a part of that phase, of that next phase, even begin that next phase, maybe. So I have a lot of hope for it. I just, you know, the 90s were weird, man. It was a weird time.
1: But Weird time, an, but we an, had
2: fun. An
1: inarguable <laughs> fact is that Mortal Kombat from 1995, it was ahead of its time as far as how progressive it is because it tackles toxic male masculinity because <laughs> Goro is shredded, has four arms, he's super cocky, super confident. I'm sure he drinks a lot of Monster Energy drinks and showers with Axe Body Spray, and he shows up to the fight, and how does he get felled? That's right, kids, a punch in the nuts. What was building me up is gonna take it down, Goro.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of chauvinism being taken down. I mean, you know, give me a breaks, baby, and she breaks his neck. Even off screen. That that's a moment of feminism that I am behind. Um, before we get out of here, really quickly, I just real quick with you, Scott. So Rotten Tomatoes is wrong in the sense that Mortal Kombat should be lower. Is that what you're saying?
3: Well, currently it's a. Uh, what number did you give? Oh, let's see, 48. So,
2: 49%. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, according to what I'm looking at now, 48. So if that's true, that puts it, by the way, sandwiches it between Rampage at 51 and the Final Fantasy Spirits Within thing at 45. Um, I'll adjust my thinking and say that seems probably about right. That's still sixth on the list. And that's about where I put it. Although I really hated Rampage, so I think that might be wrong too. But. But like, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog, pretty good. That's in there. That's p- Pokemon detective thing was weird, but great. Uh, detective, detective Pikachu. And I'm kind of a fan of the Angry Birds sequel. So your list is actually pretty correct. I would fluctuate two or three percent maybe. But knowing that Spirits Within is right on its tail, eh, I think Mortal Kombat's probably okay where it is. It's fine.
2: You, Mark, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, listen, do you think it's wrong?
1: I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I think this should definitely be a fresh movie. And I I agree with Scott. I I like the Angry Birds movies. I think they're fun. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, I had a blast with. So I think Mortal Kombat belongs in that conversation. If we can get MK... I know not everybody is going to think it's a hundred percent fresh, like I correctly do, but I would chalk it up maybe mid sixties. I think it deserves to be. I think it deserves to be in the conversation with the greatest video game films of all time, and it was that way until 2018, and then we figured out something about how to make movies based on apps, and now Angry Birds has taken its throne. So I think it deserves to be in the Angry Birds conversation.
2: I agree. Um, I also think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Um, look, in my in my heart of hearts, I think it does deserve to be in the low sixties. In fact, I would like to have it take the score that Spider-Man three erroneously got. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that really sort of like sits in there. That We all know if you're listening to this podcast at this point, you know, my thoughts on Spider-Man three, we're not going to go down that road again. However, <laughs> I will, I will also say this, that, um, I get it, why the people, why certain people didn't necessarily vibe with it. I, I, I have to say, as a person who looks at, you know, the sweeping landscapes of Chloe Zhao and looks at, you know, a film like, you know, what... Um, like, looks at a film like Parasite. No, I'm not going to compare Mortal Kombat to that. That is, like, me putting on my, like, I want to be Leonard Maltin hat. But when I strip all that down and just sit in the midst of my fangirl nerddom realness and just, like, live that fantasy, Mortal Kombat is the movie that I want to go to. That is the place where I want to be. It is the outworld is where I want to live to just take that brain off and just enjoy it for its awesome badness. And for that, I am thankful... Uh, to Paul—is it W.S. Anderson? How do you say his name? Paul name? W.S. Anderson. Yep.
3: Yeah, he goes by the no, middle sorry. thing I now, so that nobody confuses him with. The That's great what filmmaker. I'm saying. Like,
2: yeah. it's. It, I was gonna say I want to call him W.S. Anderson, but yeah, Paul W.S. Anderson. I, I thank him for that. Uh, nothing else, but I at least thank him for that. But <laughs> Oh, Event Horizon's
3: uh, okay.
1: You don't like Event Horizon? That's all right, that movie.
2: Not because of him. And Lawrence, <laughs> F- I can, I can, I can enjoy Lawrence Fishburne without his help. We need um, an episode, Scott. we need
1: an episode on Event Horizon. That, I'm going to put we that on the docket episode. right now.
2: I, I will, I will agree with you on that. I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, Scott, Thank you so much. This was so much fun. And again, I love that you managed to make it surprising, like just innovative. Again, bringing a master podcaster on, it just makes it all so much better. And to get to talk to movies and video games with you was super duper fun. Let folks know where they can find you and what you have going on right now.
3: Well, I appreciate that. It was a blast being on. Uh, If you like this kind of discussion and want more of it, uh, do a show called Filmsack.com, which you can go listen to. We've been doing it for 10 years now. And basically, it's just us scouring streaming services every week and going, hey, we haven't done Breakfast Club yet. Let's do it. Or we haven't done Mortal Kombat. Let's do it or whatever. And uh, some 600 episodes later, you'll find that show. And I think you might like it. If you like this show, what we did here today is a lot like what we do on Film Sack, just in a more broad sort of weekly sense. So go check it out. That's over at FilmSack.com. Um, all the video game talk, everything else I do, it's all over at FrogPants.com. And if you want to poke me on Twitter and tell me why I'm wrong about all this or why I'm right about all this, you can find me at Scott Johnson. And huge thanks again to you guys. I had a blast.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today. Mr. Mark Ellis, um, again, my partner in crime and all things. Uh, where can folks find you and what do you have coming up?
1: Uh, well, you can find me on all the social medias at Mark Ellis Live. And you could probably find in 1995, Jacqueline and I at the arcade throwing quarters into Mortal Kombat. And then this older kid, Scott, who could probably buy us beer back in the day, <laughs> is going to teach us how all the cheat codes work. He's going to be our game genie. So we can at least be friends at the arcade, if not at the multiplex. Uh, had a blast with Scott and and you, Jacqueline, as always. It's been great. And and Jacqueline, if I'm not mistaken, you are that Jacqueline. Is that is that right? Yes. Is that fair
2: to say? Yes. I am that Jacqueline that talks about those movies. And you can follow me at that Jacqueline on every form of social media even what the kids call the TikTok. Um, You can find me at that, Jacqueline. And we always ask that if you want to learn more about the movie, please go to RottenTomatoes.com and read the full reviews, both audience and critical reviews. Or if you haven't seen the movie, which again, we've spoiled mostly for you, you can check it out at Fandango now. Or if you've already seen it and you want to get your own digital copy, please head on over to there and you can grab that. But as always, again, you can find me at that, Jacqueline. And Mark, can they let us know what they thought of the show, right?
1: Yes, please do. Give us your thoughts, your comments, your criticisms. How are we doing? What did you like? What did you not like? Do you agree with me about Mortal Kombat being the greatest film in cinematic history? Do you agree with Scott that it's just a so-so video game adaptation and should have been rated R? Email us at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes Com. We are here to please you, and the one thing that we all can agree on is that if you're in trouble, you're in a dire situation in an intergalactic tournament, use the element that brings life. Drink some water, folks. It's good for you.
2: <laughs> yes, it will end headaches. In fact, if you're in a bad mood, drink a glass of water, probably put you in a better one. You're not angry, you're just <laughs> thirsty. Uh, <laughs> next week, we're going to keep this train going, and we're going to hop on with a man that we all love. Mr. Harrison Ford, in a movie that less of us love. That's Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We're going to be discussing Steven Spielberg's much-discussed fourth entry in the Indiana Jones series. Mark, I know you can't wait for this.
1: Yeah, I hope we have a better experience revisiting this movie than uh, Cartman and Kenny and Stan and Kyle did when they saw the movie. (laughs) I think uh, it's going to be a very interesting discussion here, Jacqueline. So I'm actually looking forward to revisiting Indiana Jones. And I have that same wide-eyed optimism that I had when I went into the theater in 2008 to check it out. So let's see how we do.
2: Cannot wait. Let's get our bullwhip and our hat ready. All right. Thank you guys again for listening. And we'll see you guys next time on Rotten Tomatoes is Raw.
4: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.